Tune in every Tuesday to the Learning with Lowell podcast with me, your host, Lowell, to hear world-class scientists, startup founders, CEOs, and authors, people who you wouldn't normally hear about but are making huge waves all the same. You'll understand them and their work by hearing their passion, laughter, advice, and hearing them, the experts, break down what they're working on so that you can learn, push the boundaries of your knowledge, and understanding. Today, we are joined by Wendy Mosher, the CEO and board director of New West Genetics, and... Dr. John McKay, the Director of Genetics and board member of the same place as well. New West Genetics is solving the most pressing, this is from their website, I just wanted to really get their mission down right, which is they're, they're solving the most pressing problems in the cannabis industry while providing valuable options to wider agricultural industry. They use genetic, genomic, they use genomic technology and data-driven discovery to create large-scale harvestable cannabis, greatly enhancing the sustainability of the industry and paving the way for large-scale production. In this episode, we get into a real big chunk of who they are in the beginning, you know, some passions, that type of thing. We get into the genetics, the business side of things, and at the end, we have some introspection and some interesting questions. But a quick breakdown of some of the things you're going to hear is, you know, what are their, their first five years of the company have been like? They're about five years into it, where the name comes from, how the farm bill, the Colorado legalization, and led up to the perfect timing of making them successful, the challenges they've gone through. Where we're to hemp comparison to today, ramen profitability, IP transfer, PowerPoint, uh, genetics, how the genetics works, excited applications. Like, I mean, you're going to get a lot from this 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 interview, and I hope there's something here for each of you. Please let me know what you think with a review, or just send me an email with uh, the link in the description. You you, uh, you kind of commented that you're not altogether that big of a like a nerd so i'm just kind of curious like what type of person would you describe yourself as like um like what is something surprising about you that people wouldn't expect oh that people wouldn't expect i think um i am very open and blatant and clear um for people so i've i've been told you know very sarcastically oh why don't you tell us what you really think so um i i think one thing you know because of that people are very used to me being you know very forward and um friendly and warm and also you know to the point sometimes to the point of being brash but i think what people would find surprising is that i need a lot of alone time i'm a very focused person i can't multitask I need to, you know, stay, stay um, um, dedicated to the task that I'm working on. So I think people might be surprised by my work ethic and my, my focus. You sound kind of like me. Like I, I, people are always surprised that I'd be like in my, in my happiest state, I'd probably just be in a corner reading a book. Yeah. Alone <laughs> reading or writing. Uh, yeah. yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. But like you're, you're so social at the, so, at the same time. So they're like, well, that's weird. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, at the same time, do you have any like uh, interesting hobbies outside the business? Uh, <laughs> hobbies. I'm a parent, so my children are my hobbies <laughs> right now. Prior to that, you know, I do I do have a degree in art, so I you know would make different you know pieces of art, photography, installations. Um, but and I and I like to play music, so you know I was playing guitar for a little while. I don't do that now, but I sing and, and fiddle on the piano. So just you know, I'm I'm pretty artsy on that side. But you know, once you have children, everything goes out the window. So it's all about them. I'm a soccer mom. I drive my children to soccer for my hobby. How about you? <laughs> you can listen to audiobooks. The weird hobby. I raise bees. I'm pretty big into bees. Oh, nice. Hey, I'm about to take our turtle to a turtle race this next coming weekend at Petco. 
So yeah, we have that in common. We race animals. <laughs> race animals? <laughs> How do you race bees? No, what are you? Race. No, oh, race. Bees. Oh, I like that race. Oh, that's <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, you could race much them. Much more normal than racing them, Lowell. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could. Like, there, there's probably like, but you, you race turtles? No, I, I don't do that for a hobby, but there just happens to be a turtle race this weekend. And I have a turtle that's We're really, turtle that's really fast. So I wanted <laughs> to enter him. <laughs> that is eccentric. But, um, Darwin, by the way. <laughs> that's a good name. Darwin's turtle's still alive. The, the, the turtle, uh, Darwin. The ab- I thought he passed away about two years ago. Is he still alive? Well, I hope he is. We gotta look that up. Lonesome this is one George. of those instances. Lonesome George is dead. Lonesome George died. Yeah. What? Years no, ago. I like telling that anecdote. I've been telling you for weeks. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. believe. I believe you. Now nah, I'm really sad. But, I mean, he he lived a while. I, mean, I guess he had a good run. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. That made me sad. All right. Well, never mind. But <laughs> he's not alive. Um. Oh, man, I lost my train of thought. Okay, we were <laughs> talking about weird hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, do you have so, any weird hobbies, John McKay? No, I like weeding. He likes weeding the garden. <laughs> do you, uh, have you guys ever watched Stargate Atlantis? It's like a it's a TV show from like the early two thousands. No, no. There's a there's a there's a, a a McKay. He's like Dr. McKay, and he he's like the science guy. And so every time you say McKay, I keep thinking of him. Oh, that's so funny. Was it yeah. like a firefly? Yeah, well, yeah, it's like a space thing. It's yeah. not, I wouldn't, it's not really the best comparison, but yeah, I guess so. It's like they go to, I couldn't describe it in 30 seconds. I don't know. I like this. It's it's pretty interesting series if you like sci-fi stuff. What's the name of it? Stargate Atlantis. Stargate. It's like, it came from Stargate SG-1 and originally Stargate that was in, I don't know, like the mid 90s. I like to read, I've been starting to read, you know, I always read like a fantasy, uh, like post-apocalyptic stuff, right? And, but I just started reading The Themis Files. Have you read that? No, I've never even heard of it. What are this, what's that about? And so it's, it's way more sci-fi space than I usually read, but it's about, you know, evidence of alien and attempts to communicate from 3,000 years ago. So they were sort of preparing for us to get our technology up and running, and they planted, you know, some, I don't want to give the whole thing away, but some almost like archaeological evidence around the planet. So that once we found it, we would be ready to, you know, they would know that we would be prepared to communicate with them. It's pretty, I'm, I'm only halfway through the first book, but I'm very, very excited to finish it. So good stuff. Have you ever read Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Danigan? No. Um, Is that space too? Well, it's basically the premise behind Stargate. It, yeah, it's like, it's like this, the idea that like aliens have been here before. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, but are you familiar with the, uh, um, Einstein and how he, he was very artsy as well? Like, which is, like, you think of science people, and sometimes you don't think that they're very, like, artistic people. But, yeah, I I don't know. It's kind of, like, an interesting thing that he was, like, so good at playing the violin that he'd actually, like, go to orchestras and stuff. So he wasn't just, like, a man of numbers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, music. Yeah, music is language. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to teach myself. I don't know how how good it's going. (laughs) Are you trying to teach yourself violin? Yeah. Oh, violin is so challenging. I find stringed, I can't play, you know, besides guitar, I can't do stringed instruments. 
It's tough. Good for you. Well, I tried learning the guitar and I feel like that's hard where the violin seems kind of straightforward. There's only like, I only have to do like three things. Like it's cool. where a guitar, there's like, I have really big fingers. I think that's probably what it is. I have like a really big hand. <laughs> I, that's probably not a good excuse, but I just like, for some reason, violence makes sense. <laughs> all right, go for it. Yeah. Well, all right, but, um, does, does John have any weird hobbies? No, I think weeding. Weeding. He loves weed. He also, I'm going to tell you a weird hobby he has. He hates bindweed. I'm just going to get more specific on this hobby. So he waged about a five-year war on bindweed in his yard um, and, and would not allow anything. He had this ugly patch of brown in his front yard. It wouldn't let any other, you know, activity or planting happen until the bindweed was proven dead, you know, a couple of seasons in a row. So that's how dedicated he is to weeding. What, why do you... What's so bad about bindweed? I've never, I've never heard of it before. It, um, it's a fairly, uh, it's, it's related to morning glories uh, and sweet potatoes, but it's, it's a widespread uh, weed around here. Um, and it's, uh, it like winds around everything and it's, uh, it's perennial. And I just, you know, I, it's, uh, I have the friends and enemies approach. I don't like it. <laughs> He walks through our hemp fields and gets so angry when he sees it. <laughs> uh, no, I can get that. I, I grew up on a farm and it's like when you, when you want something to be a certain way and you're trying to like raise something, I, I can, I can get that. Cause like, yeah. I, I hate weeds when they're in, like when you're trying to like raise something, there's like a random weed there. It's like, you don't deserve that nutrient. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's got like a persona for John bindweed. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. Um, so the you, you named the you named the I don't know do you call it a startup or do you call it a company at this point? Uh, <laughs> that's such a good question. When does a startup become a company? You know, they say that most startups fail within the first five years. So I think at our five-year point, we will transition to calling us a company. <laughs> so we're we're at four point five. We're almost there. Okay. All right. So in your almost company, <laughs> why did you name it New West Genetics? Like. Uh, I'm not very good at naming things. So I'm always curious, like how do people come to a name? Um, John, you, you first, I think, proffered that name. Um, yeah, the genetics, I think, goes without saying, um, <laughs> uh, as a descriptor and the core of what we do. Um, and then the, uh, you know, just the idea of um, the new West um, you know, I guess the new, new West, but that a lot of, um, you know, Colorado was, was the first state to have, you know, cannabis because of our state rules. We were the first state where we, uh, could legally, uh, do hemp breeding. So there's, you know, there's a Western element to, uh, yeah, uh, most of the states were, were in now. the West that first adopted cannabis. So, we're, you know, the West is really leading the charge, I think, in cannabis overall. So. And, and we're in the West. We're uh, here. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we have, uh, that, that was the, um, that was some of the reasons that, that got floated as a name. Hmm. Makes sense. I like it. It's, um, I don't know, I'm not very good at naming things. My girlfriend had to help me with the naming of my podcast. I wanted to name it The Road to Awe off of a movie called The Fountain with Hugh Jackman. But uh, that has religious connotations, so it doesn't work that well with, with uh, science podcasts. Though I, I thought it was like you could discover something. So I, I still felt it was good. But, you know, learning with Lowell, it even alliterates nicely. But 
But um, so why did you guys choose hemp? Like of all the things you could do, I mean, you guys, both of you seem, you know, pretty smart, you probably do anything. So what made you choose like growing hemp? It was really, you know, the one, the opportunity, right? We were in Colorado when it was legalized. Um, you know, we were one of three states that allowed it immediately after the farm bill passed. <clears throat> you know, if, if you had regs on the books, you could start doing it. Um, and Colorado is one of those states. But also, you know, typically John and Rich, our other co-founder, um, they work in canola, rice, corn, and, you know, there's still improvements to be made in those crops. So when faced with the opportunity to work in what is essentially a brand new species, uh, that's super exciting for a scientist, right? To be able to have the opportunity to contribute like foundational research. You don't get that opportunity in most of science today. So I think that was, um, you know, definitely a big piece of our excitement. So then it kind of seems like it's like good timing then, which is one of the key factors. I, re I read this in a, in a book and this seems to be the case with everyone I interview that there's some type of key timing for these types of things. So when it comes to timing for you, it seems that the farm bill was really key. The legalization was really key. Is there anything else that makes you feel like now is the perfect time? Like now was like kind of like made for this to happen? Well, it was timing and location, right? So it was, a, you know, perfect synchronicity of those two pieces that we were here and, you know, we were allowed to do it and the farm bill made it legal. You know, we weren't comfortable, you know, operating in the species before then and, and we didn't. So um, I think that was the, those two pieces together really provided, you know, we said, why not? Why would we not do this? Mm -hmm. What were some of the big challenges over the port, over the past four and a half years that you've had to overcome? <laughs> You, I have a list for you. <laughs> uh, what, you know, the biggest challenge is that it's a new, new industry. It's a new market, right? So there's, new, there's tons of players that come in that aren't necessarily maybe science savvy or business savvy, or they're just one or the other. And there's not a lot of data. So you couple all of those pieces, right? And, it, and, and th that makes it challenging to operate simply as a business. And then as breeders and geneticists, it's a new market, so we can't predict kind of what people will be interested in, right? We don't have any data to predict that on, like, you know, a company might do with corn, right? Oh, here, we need to increase this fatty acid or whatever. And, you know, we're, that it's not positive yet. I'll give you an example of that. So for fiber, um, it, there's tons of amazing innovation, right? If you want to harvest, grow, harvest hemp fiber, there's a lot of different innovative ways to process that. But we as breeders need to know, you know, it, even down to the equipment that you're using, we can breed for that, you know, but it's unsure right now in the market because of all this innovation of what's going to win out for large scale. So it's, it's, it's issues like that of, you know, breeding takes years. So we need to really be able to keep our program and our pedigree database broad enough so that, you know, once we get to, oh, this is how they're going to process, then we can pull, you know, some of those genetics out that would relate to that and develop it from there. But we used hemp to make parachutes in World War II. Did you use anything from the past to kind of guide you like that? Um, so <clears throat> right now, you know, the modern market is becoming clear, you know, over the past five years. And it's, it's, it's not very much fiber yet. Um, the first two and most lucrative markets in hemp right now are in the seed or grain, as well as um, in the flower where the cannabinoids are. 
Yeah, the, so the technology, you know, the, the hemp textiles that were created up through World War II, that was all involved masses, massive amounts of manual labor, right? It was before kids watched TV or played with their phones, <laughs> actually went out and did some work. So uh, the, um, you know, that, that has changed a lot, right? Uh, the way we, we do all of the other crops uh, has changed a lot since, um, uh, since that, that World War II period. Uh, whereas hemp has just been completely missing. So we're, we're sort of more focused on what's happening in the future than what, than the way things were done in the past. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I'm always, I'm always curious to see how people can kind of like learn from the past to make something interesting today, especially since like there's a bunch of really neat reasons why people used hemp, like it grows really you know quick versus like tree in regards to making paper at least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and where, you know, where we do learn from the past is basically, you know, since hemp was prohibited, uh, you know, we've, there's been lots of, you know, technology and discoveries like, you know, discovered DNA, discovered the molecule THC, you know, and then breeding and genetics have measuring you know, tensile space. Yeah. Yeah. Or strength. There's been massive innovation, right. In, in, in that whole space. And so, uh, so the idea is basically taking what was, what's been done in, in corn and soy and now applying it, uh, to this species that hasn't really had anything done for, uh, you know, in the modern era. How, who all is a part of the team, like the, the centermost people. I think you have a, pretty decent sized team. Yeah, we have, um, there's about, there's four of us that are, you know, extremely active on the team. We have another um, contractor who's, who's also, you know, active on the month level. And then we have a large advisory board. So there's three co-founders, myself, John, and then Rich Fletcher. Um, so John's a professor at CSU in plant genetics and Rich Fletcher is the head breeder for Cargill's canola program. Um, our other partners, Jonathan Burbaum, he's kind of an ag tech uh, entrepreneur guy in California. We, you know, strategically wanted somebody that we knew well and trusted in California, as we predict it's going to be a pretty big player. Um, and he's, you know, he does a lot of biz development stuff for us. And our advisory board is spans industries. It's everything from biotech um, all the way through cannabis. We've got a lawyer, and we have someone in large scale agriculture. So that's Frank Curtis. Um, he's uh, head of a very large ag company here in the U.S. Um, he's Got a lot of, you know, he was sent over from Europe to start, you know, this uh, breeding and genetics company from scratch. And he's retiring at the end of the year and will be joining us full time as our COO. So we're really excited to have him and, you know, all of his experience um, to join the team then. So. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone you're, you're, you still need on the team? Any missing pieces or pop people? Um, you know, the typical, uh, a CFO, <laughs> you know, head of marketing, um, you know, pretty typical pieces, but also, you know, soon we'll need, um, once it get the breeding program grows larger, which is really imminent, we're going to need, you know, some people to do some of the stats running for John, someone to, you know, take care of all of our, our pedigree database tracking and, and data, you know, kind of organizing. So, what type of people would you like if someone was listening right now and they were like, all oh, these people sound pretty interesting. Like what would make them feel like they should, you know, send you guys an email? Like what, who, who, who would be like a good fit for your team? 
Um, so we have actually on our website, you can upload your resume and I, I've got a list of about, you know, five to seven people that would be great for that data um, position. So, you know, that one, we are extremely collaborative and we're very problem solving focused. So we disagree frequently, but we always come to an agreement, whether that's, you know, okay, this is the best you know, path forward or, okay, I, I respect your feelings on this, even though I disagree. All right, let's do it. So you have to be really problem focused, um, collaborative and fun. That's our third requirement. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I was thinking about like, that's the dream team. Is there, uh, have you had any like nightmares when it comes to like finding the right team members? Cause it, it's a, it's a very big decision, especially as you're, as you're growing. Cause like the wrong person can really derail things by, a long time. So have you had any bad experiences in that? Yeah, I mean, we certainly yeah. tried folks out and they weren't the right fit. I would never say it was a nightmare. You always learn something, right, when things go wrong. And um, so I, I wouldn't say it's a nightmare team-wise, you know, because we can control that. So um, I, I'm old enough now that I, I don't have a problem telling someone they're not the right fit. Um, so we, I, I feel like we've been really fluid. Where that is a problem, however, is, is through trying to find partners, you know, whether it's pipeline or not, because it's a new industry. It's really difficult to know people's track record, um, to know, you know, their level of experience and success with, you know, what, what they're claiming the expertise is in. So that's, that's real been very, very challenging for us. Mm. It sounds like it. Do, have you found any good ways to like get around that or is it just kind of like a trial and error type situation? Um, the trial and error for a company our size is, is um, uh, you know, is, it, it would be too much. So we try to, you know, vet people, figure out, uh, you know, I mean, the, the number of people we get that have some interest in hemp genetics and production is ridiculously large. And a lot of the, you know, our challenge is, who, are they going to be successful in producing a crop or bringing a retail product to market? Uh, you know, if we knew, if we knew how to predict that, you know, maybe we would be in another industry, but, uh, but, you know, so we, um, you know, yeah, spend a lot of time. Sometimes it, it ends up being a waste of time and sometimes mm -hmm. it turns into, um, you know, useful longer term relationships. And then I guess the one piece that's changing there is that, um, you know, now that this new farm bill is, uh, you know, looking very promising. Larger entities uh, are are becoming interested in hemp and see that it could have a stable supply chain. And so then, you know, if, you know, if it's a big company that you heard of, you know that they have money in their bank right. account, and they'll, you know, they may not be ultimately successful with any given product line, but that they have, uh, they'll be around long enough that it's worth interacting with them. That makes sense. That's interesting. The kind of like a business question that I sometimes like to ask people, but to, how long, how long, and if it hasn't happened, like how long do you think it would take to reach ramen profitability? Probably I would say, you know, right now our pro forma is predicting about uh, two more years before we're at, before we're profitable. So that's why, I mean, we are in a raise right now in our series A. So, um, you know, by then 
that and, and which is pretty quick, I think, for a breeding company. And it's all because of the opportunity right now uh, is that we can even sell byproducts of our R and D. And if, if that weren't the case, then you know it'd be even farther down the road. But because there's so much demand in the market right now for flour, I mean, I've got I had all of our byproducts sold, you know, at the beginning of the season. Um, so that's uh, we're lucky in that way. Mm. So then, have you been mainly using that method? Uh, any seed funding you've gotten in grants to kind of like keep you guys going for the last four and a half years? If that's it right. was. Yep. Seed funding and sales, honestly. Um, so we've been able to sell grain into the human foods market and, you know, flour pretty extensively as well as we've licensed our seed genetics. Interesting. The, I'm, I'm doing a series on like IP transfer. So ah, it's, uh, we deal with that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, well for, for a company that's kind of, well, Almost company. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll go with startup. It sounds nicer. There you go. Uh, how does that work? Like, does someone just like, if I wanted to like use some of the technology, I just go over to you and then, you know, money is exchanged and we sign a contract and it's as simple as that. Or like how, what does the actual mechanisms look like for you guys? Or yeah. As far as IP goes, we, we don't license anything until we've protected it in some way. And um, so, you know, we, we have patents filed on some of our material. Um, we're looking actually right now, we've entered a trial in Canada and we will be, you know, plant variety protecting it up in Canada. Um, when we, we've issued seed to multiple universities and every time we do that, um, they're required to, uh, you know, sub, uh, sign an MTA with us, material transfer agreement. When we license to folks, you know, we don't have a lot of seed bulked up. So we've just licensed, uh, you know, four or five, um, with four or five entities. And each time, you know, there's contractual obligations with, um, in regards to respecting the IP and protecting it. So taking taking a step back before we like jump into the science side of things, um, how do you find good advisors, and what makes them want to stay on? Or like, yeah, how do you think about finding advisors? That's it's it's one of the areas that I've found that a lot of people, I don't know, maybe like a lot of ignorance is there, like how to do it. And so I'm just kind of curious, since you've gotten a good team of advisors, like how'd you do it? Um. We definitely started out with a plan to make it cross industry. So we see ourselves as, okay, we're an agricultural company. We're an ag tech company that is in cannabis. So that's a pretty, um, those are pretty separate worlds. Um, you know, initially they're, they're coming closer and closer. So we definitely wanted advisors that spanned that as well as biotech, because, you know, what we're creating is, is going to be turned into medicine. So, um, we definitely wanted somebody from biotech on our team. That's Rhonda Wallen. Um, and then somebody from a larger ag company, right. That's done this before. And so we really deliberately went out to find people and we, we did want people that were pretty accessible. So we looked, you know, locally, who's the best locally, right? Who's the best that we can keep in contact with regularly that can come and see our fields, um, et cetera. So that's kind of how we set out to make our team. And honestly, no one ever turned us down when we asked them to participate. And so we've been really lucky. Do you, this, and you, you can say like, no, this is kind of like a weird question, but like, do you have to like, do they get like a percentage or like, do you pay them? Like how do like yeah, the, we yeah. 
that took a while to figure out, honestly, and there's multiple resources out there that you can look for for forming your advisory board. Um, what is typical compensation? You know, you can you can Google all that, but I, I reached out to advisors <laughs> to figure that piece out. And there's some variation, but you know, all of our advisors are compensated with um, equity in the company. All right, well, thank you for answering that question. The so a question I'm curious about is what about what about your team makes you feel like you're the ones who are going to make it, pardon me, that's going to make, make you feel that you're the ones who are going to make this work. Like, I'm sure there's other people out there that are trying to be like the new, new West genetics but, or something similar. Yeah. Uh, so like, what makes you feel like you have the right team and everything to like deliver this home? Well, well, first we should say what we're trying to deliver, which is um, we're trying to create um, hemp cultivars or varieties that are bred for large-scale harvestability, mechanical planting, mechanical harvesting, that also have multiple um, market traits, you know, that are valued, right? So, so a bunch of different varieties uh, through which, you know, we create a robust portfolio of IP and, you know, so that this industry can really get off the ground. Right now, you know, the way people are using, in particular, the extracts from the flower is highly expensive. The production is highly unsustainable. And so, so we're looking to improve those problems. Um, and what makes us the, the best to do it? Uh, without a doubt, we are the best at what we do in the U.S. Um, and it's because of my two teammates. It's not me. It's John, who is, you know, a really successful um, statistical geneticist, um, biologist, and you know, he, he understands very deeply complex traits that impact um, impact the species and, and how they perform. And then my other partner um, is a, you know, is a breeder. He's been a commercial breeder for 15 years and has been very successful, one, at gaining IP. You know, he demonstrates that success, but also, you know, and, and he files all of our IP as well um, and in adapting traits for the market. So literally in the plant, thousands of plant scale experiments. So, so how we're different is that we have both of these pieces, right? We have, you know, more the practical side of Rich's breeding and then the, you know, more, I, I hate to say theoretical, but, you know, the knowledge base and the genomics to really create, um, create this crop as, as species and seed as quickly as possible. So I think that's how we're different. There's a lot of super smart people out there working um, with genetics and, and the majority of them that are being successful are doing more biochemistry. They're, they're on the biochemical side of genetics. Um, and that really can be complementary to us. Um, it's not, it's not really competitive. The, the, the people are coming. There's wonderful breeders in Canada and Europe. However, they don't use genomics to inform their crossing. Um, we know that's going to change, but right now, you know, we've got a, we've got that four and a half year jump start. So we feel pretty confident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> If you can't, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a well, it's a good thing. If, if you can't be confident about something you're building, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of, well, you know, it's like if if you if someone's like, hey, do you think your kid's cute? And it's like you have to say you should feel like I don't know what the like the like no one ever thinks they have an ugly child. Not to say that your business is an ugly child, but right, like right. no no parent thinks that. And if if they did, then they're probably bad parents. Which is to say, <laughs> like you're you're a uh, you're you know good business people the, um, to believe in what you're doing. Did you uh, think, John? Um, just the, uh, our approach is, is, you know, very similar to all large scale ag production. Um, so we're, you know, our goal is to produce a variety that 
you plant from seed and you know uh and and there's a you know a limited cost to how much it takes to create a, a population that you then harvest at the end of the year like corn or soy and a lot of what people um have been focusing on is is clonal reproduction uh that you may be familiar with from you know the marijuana side but a lot of that's done in, in hemp phenotypes as well um so you basically do a little breeding, find one good thing, and then try to cut up that plant and make you know thousands of plants off of that one cutting, and that um, you know that gets you something um, a little bit faster. But it it as Wendy said, it's not it's not a sustainable or scalable production model. So I think we you know by not even by, by just bypassing that and seeing that as a temporary phase, that that is what distinguishes us. Hmm. do you so talking about the genetic side of things you know you hear all these things about like CRISPR and stuff in the news but I was reading recently that CRISPR doesn't work as well in plants or something to that effect so what all technology can you use to molecularly change plants and plant stuff like because I know transgenic stuff has been going on for some time but I'm this is I literally read this like last night so I was just curious is like sure. to, yeah, to, uh, you know, most uh, most of the uh, realized practical changes that exist in, in crop plants are just based on recombination and selective breeding, right? That still, you know, explains, you know, almost all of the variation in, in quality traits and yield traits. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, you're familiar with, you know, some of these more single gene traits uh, like Roundup, you know, herbicide tolerance or, um, you know, BT resistance and, and other things. And those um, in the U.S. You were done through a transformation process that triggers the regulatory process. And then they have to be proven safe, which, uh, you know, is, is so expensive that it's been limited to, you know, a, a very small number of companies that have been able to bring products like that to market and only in a handful of, of crop species. Right. And, uh, so CRISPR is, um, you know, allows a more, uh, targeted approach. Um, certainly the, um, you know, when you actually try to do it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well as the, the, you know, the news and views paper and science or the brochure. Um, and then there's additional, uh, there's actually, there is, uh, it can trigger uh, the regulatory review, uh, depending on how you do CRISPR-Cas, and people are uh, just figuring that out now, I would say, of what, like the big companies are just starting to put out corn uh, events that are CRISPR-Cas and, and getting that through the feds. And then there's a lot of smaller startups that, um, are have a business plan based on doing uh you know using that some form of that technology to uh you know make edits at particular genes that could be useful in in one or more crops or vegetables um so so there you know that whole toolkit can be applied to anything um you also probably know you know that not everybody likes gm uh products for some reason and um you know, so there's a lot of market uh, considerations. Uh, you know, if you take the cost of deregulation and then the market pull, you can try to figure out what is going to be worth, uh, you know, what, which genetic approach makes the most sense um, in each case. But 
um, I will, you know, this sort of old fashioned breeding, uh, we can, we can do that now in a much more, uh, it's becoming more of a predictive science since we can also sequence the genomes of thousands of individuals for relatively cheaply and then start to know, you know, just by look, I can just cut a leaf off and sequence it and say, oh, because of, it has these features, I predict it's going to be like this. And, and the predictive power is, you know, is not perfect, uh, but it's, it, you can use that, uh, you can design your program around uh, any uncertainty there and make, make gains faster than you would if you weren't utilizing all of that information. Hmm. I think I was reading recently that Mo Monsanto, or what used to be Monsanto, or another big company, it might have been just a placeholder in my head, that there was a way that they could like take a like little like sample from the seed and tell, at, even at that stage, whether or not like the, the genetic components were present in the seed. Is that something that you guys would do, or do you take it from when it's a leaf? Um, we typically do it from when it's a leaf. You can you can remove part of the of a seed and get DNA out of it, um, and uh, you know, and with something like a big hybrid corn seed, there's a lot a decent amount to cut off and, and still um, be able to work with. Um, uh, so depending on how, um, you know, in different species, there's a, a most uh, appropriate stage where it's easiest to uh, get the DNA uh, and get the results back in a timely manner to make decisions from. Is there anything that people are doing in the genetic plant space that you think it's particularly advanced or kind of like, well, I didn't think we'd be able to do that in my lifetime. Like anything that, um, you know, like there's the Arthur C. Clarke quote that anything sufficiently advanced looks like magic. So I, I suppose, is there anything that you think would be kind of magical to someone who doesn't have your background? Um, I think it's more magical to people that do have the background, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah, the, just our ability uh, to, to the number of different, um, you know, the, the scale of, of DNA or, or RNA, uh, you know, nucleic acid data that we can access, um, is uh, certainly well beyond anything I was, you know, expecting as I was training and, and, uh, you know, I sort of, um, w w got into this big data space through more through, um, phenotypes, um, because at the time, you know, only in really in, in human genomics was there any funding uh, sufficient to, to generate data. But now, you know, we're, you can sequence, you know, anything. And, and then it's just a matter of having the, uh, you know, the, the uh, skills to process that data and make decisions from it. I, I suppose that it's a similar question that I asked Wendy earlier on where there's like this hobby. So other than kind of like, killing a specific type of weed is there anything that you like really like maybe i'm assuming the you know genetic space because that's kind of your background but maybe there's something else like is there anything else that you you watch and monitor pretty pretty extensively other, other than weeds of course yeah I, I try uh i try not to uh read too much news on my phone uh because uh then the, i get grumpy so um so uh yeah i you know uh pretty focused on um genetics and and science and um, that latitudinal gradient um studies across biology right 
species. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, you know, I'm interested in sort of in general evolution and diversity and, um, you know, and um, sort of started out uh, uh, at the more at the organism le level and then, you know, have moved more and more into um, understanding variation in DNA and how that, what, what parts of that are good or bad or, or don't really matter that much. If you're looking for the humanist, he does love jazz music and used to be a jazz DJ. <laughs> jazz DJ. But, I mean, he's got like the motion down, like as he rips the weeds, he could be like ripping one of the record <laughs> things, right? I don't know what it looks like, but in my head that I'm going to like associate the two. He's got the voice too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is there is there an application that you two are excited to see come from your work, you know, in the next couple of years, is there anything that is, I don't know, like I, 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 I suppose I could just ask the question then, you know, maybe you guys have the same answer, but is there anything that you are excited to see come from your work? Like any specific application? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're definitely excited about, you know, the, the different cannabinoids. We're not on the, you know, medicinal side by any means, somebody else will do that, right? They'll take it and apply it. But you know, just creating something that is rich in a particular cannabinoid, um, we, we feel really helps the industry. It makes, you know, cost of production go down, which in turn makes, you know, the consumers of the product be able to afford it. I, I feel really good about that part of what we do. We've also done some exciting stuff with um, skewing the gender ratio. Um, we'll work on lipids and um, another another thing that that I do in particular is working with a, a group of people with the FDA to get this approved in animal feed, the utilization of the grain, which is extremely nutritious. It's like soy. It's got that, you know, 30 to 30 fats to protein. Um, but the, the omegas are, you know, the ratio of the omegas is even more perfect. So um, re really excited about that. Once that gets done, we'll feel very proud. Um, Anything I'm, I'm missing that you're particularly proud of, Dr. McKay? Uh, one, one thing, one fun thing we've been messing around with is, is with the brewing industry and they've been using, um, you know, hemp is, uh, cannabis is the closest relative of hops and, uh, you know, which is used for flavoring beer. So we've had a few projects with some, uh, some brewers where they're, where they've flavored uh, beer with various hemp products um, and, uh, and then have, are now actually fighting with the feds on the regulation of, of that process. Uh, cause the, after the farm bill passed, the, the, the federal policies around using the products have not changed yet. Um, so, so I think the lawyers are now involved there. Um, but that, you know, that, that's been fun. I was at the brewing summit, uh, meeting a couple of weeks ago where they had a, a panel around. Uh, the use of, of uh, in this case in particular, was terpenes, which are, you know, what makes an IPA, uh, an IPA, um, looking at those from the biochemistry and use of that from both hops and, and hemp. And, uh, and then we have a project comparing the genomes of um, cannabis and humulus, which is the hops genus, uh, because they are each other's closest relatives and we can learn um, more about one from figuring out what, what they have in common and what they have that's different at the DNA level. And how could, I mean, talk about a little bit how hemp can, you know, help improve hops. Yeah. So the hops is this, 
um, perennial uh, crop that takes you know years to get established before you can even start harvesting it. Uh, it takes a really long time to breed. So we're working with breeders at a, a hop company uh, because they see, you know, for example, there's a lot of uh, fungal disease in hops and just doing the genetic studies to figure out what, what causes resistance or susceptibility to that is much slower in the hops system than it is in cannabis. So that's, you know, one immediate area where uh, you could, where the hops breeding could benefit from experiments in, in hemp. That's one of the things I like about science. It's like, it's all kind of connected. Like some, there's like, like you develop one thing and it's rarely just kind of only advances itself. Like there's always like other things that can kind of benefit from it. Um, so kind of moving to more of a reflective uh, segment of the podcast. Uh, so I'm working on a longevity series. And so I've been asking people if you could give longevity and just in this sense we'll just call it immortality we're not, you're not supposed to call it that like people get touchy but if you could if you could give long longevity or, or immortality to anyone present or past in the science space or you know whoever um so like if it was like leonardo da vinci he'd still be alive today you know but it can't be anyone you love and they can't be a friend who oh. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna give it to my kids," but no, you can't do that. So you get you get two, you get two people a piece. Uh, who would you give uh, uh, the responsibility of anti aging to? Anti aging to? Well, I know one of them for sure. Leonard Cohen is, you know, top of my list for that for sure. And I'm thinking of the other one. Hold on. Oh, and why? And why? Why? Why Leonard Cohen? Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, okay. Uh, just because he grapples very directly with the themes of love and death and birth. And I think any artist that does so, <laughs> and, such, and he's so, so dramatic. I mean, the music he creates is so beautiful and moving. Um, I would want that around for everyone's lifetime. Hmm. And then I'll think about my second pick. What about you, Dr. McKay? Sure, I'll go with one genetics answer. So uh, Barbara McClintock um, uh, was, you know, did a, 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 a large number of discoveries around um, the genetics of, of transmission uh, and traits, mostly in, in maize and, um, you know, it sort of was uh, not fully her genius was not fully recognized in in her lifetime um she was denied tenure at the university of missouri uh because uh, they were like oh this you know this stuff's not going anywhere i mean she did um she you know was recognized later but uh i think you know would would have a lot to contribute given the tools we have now to query genomes and then i'll go with a um musician too um eric dolphy is my well, one of my favorite uh, jazz musicians, and um, he died of a diabetic coma fairly young, and and I would have made a lot more uh, great music, uh, and would continue to that I would enjoy. So that, that would be my choice for that. Aww. This is a tough pick. It's a really tough pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a writer, and um, who I learned about through my career in teaching, and it's Jacqueline Woodson. And um, she's an incredible 
connector with with children um, and about, you know, again, those big themes and but does it in, you know, an age appropriate way. Um, but but, you know, she she deals with very heavy topics um, but not in a way that devastates the child that uplifts them and shows them the hope. So I, I, you know, as you can probably tell, I have a great appreciation for artists, you know, whether they're music or, or writers um, or visual artists. So I just think it's so key to having a healthy society and creating good citizens and finding joy. Mm-hmm. What teaches empathy? Like this idea of Absolutely. empathizing with others, where I think sometimes people are a little cynical. Um, so looking, looking back at your lives, is there anything that was a, was at the moment, like when you look, like when you were going through, it's like, oh, this is a failure. You know, I, you know, this is, I messed up. This is horrible. But now that you look back, it's almost like a fortunate failure. You know, like, oh, I'm glad, you know, like the, the example I, I give is Leonardo da Vinci, like a lot of people in his time, if they were a bastard, it was a bad thing. Cause you know, like you, you don't get a lot of benefits <laughs> from being one of them, but he considered himself fortunate to be a bastard so that he wouldn't be raised the the same way as everyone else so he he like kind of like created his own way of thinking so is there anything i mean you know like that um yeah i would say those are two different things so this is not a mistake i intentionally failed you know that i made that i failed from but i have a similar um experience um to your leonardo story um so i was raised in a very strict uh religious cult i would call it and um I definitely, um, you know, went, went through the waves of belief and then disbelief and was able to break out of it. And so um, I feel like that taught, well, one, I was taught how to study very well and how to focus. I was forced, you know, to focus. Very grateful for that. Um, but also um, it taught me how to follow my own instinct and my own path when that time came. So to trust my instincts. So I, I think those are both very important in business, you know, to, to learn from people and learn what people are telling you, even if you don't um, agree with what they're saying. And, but also then, you know, to trust your instinct um, as, as decisions come up. So, you know, it's a balance and that's, that's a balance that I experience um, most uh, directly in my business, not, not necessarily in my teaching career, which was guided a lot more by instinct, but in business, you know, I, I definitely had to learn that lesson um, and, and try to every day. It's a challenge. I try to maintain that balance. Okay. Here's what I know. Here's what people are telling us. There's that guy, uh, Neil Gaiman uh, has a quote. I heard you mention him on the other podcast. I'm a fan of him as well, but he, uh, he says, if somebody tells you that what you're doing is wrong for some reason, they know it's, it's incorrect or you shouldn't be doing it, you should listen to them. They're right, you know, 90% of the time. When they tell you how to fix it, you should never listen because they're almost always wrong. <laughs> so I love, I love that. I experience that and I, I live that truth um, in, in my daily decision making uh, in my business. So. John, do you have any uh, feedback on that question? No, I didn't really ever have any uh, eureka moments. What about failures? Um, it's all good. Not <laughs> a, a, some some people are are the Supermans of the world, where the rest of us can be Spider Man. Um, you know, <laughs> very flawed individuals. Um, there's a there's a book that kind of reminds me of you, Wendy, with the what what you just said. There, it's like a a woman, and if this is you, I'm really stupid for not knowing this. 
but I don't think so. It's a, there's like, it's a really big book. Like the woman was, I think it's in Colorado that was a part of like a re- really religious cult and then like had to leave and like slowly made her way in the world. It's like New Harvest. That's, new- that's called, no, Educated. Yes, there you go. Yeah, yeah. that's a woman that, that, that took place in Idaho. I certainly read that. I read all of those books. <laughs> yeah, no, what a great story. Um, hers was a little more extreme, you know, as far as like physical abuse. <laughs> I'm grateful I did not suffer that. But um, yeah, yeah, what a great story um, and coming of age. I, I have a lot of heart for, you know, kids coming out of you know, cults as a result of that, because they, they virtually have no support, um, when they come out because that was your world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, well, first I'm glad that that wasn't you. Cause <laughs> that's really dumb. That, that has happened before I've interviewed someone and they're like, they're really famous in some arena, but I didn't know it. Cause I was talking about something really specific, like AI. Uh-huh. And then later someone will point it out to me. I was like, well, I'm stupid. <laughs> I, should have, I should have probably expanded my search. That would be ignorant, not stupid, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's true. Yeah, uh, but all right then. Um, so, for people who are just getting started in like their own startup, or maybe in the last couple of years of being in college, is there any advice that you would give them, or things that they should be thinking about before as they make that step, either into forming their own startup, joining a startup? or entering into the workforce, I suppose, if that ma- makes sense. Like anything that you've noted in your, your, your careers that would be something that people my age, th- then again, I don't think you're that much older than me, but like that might benefit from your wisdom. Um, I, you know, the wisdom I consistently give and I learned it from someone is to always take a step. You know, I, I've, for some reason, I have some friends that are always paralyzed <laughs> with thinking too much. You know, they're deep thinkers and that makes them hesitant, hesitant to make a move, right? They're pursuing perfection. Ring the bells that still can ring, right? Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's where the light comes in, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't have to be perfect. Take a step no matter what and, and trust your instinct. So, so that those would be, you know, kind of the big ideas I would give. And then a piece of advice that I felt was so validated because I was too embarrassed to tell everybody. I take naps. I take like 20 minute naps every day. And then I saw a study on LinkedIn that totally validated it. So now I'm not ashamed to tell people naps are really helpful to stay productive. And maybe it's my old age. I don't know, but um, I find them very helpful. Mm. I keep like based on our conversation, I feel like you guys are much older than I thought you were. I thought you were like early thirties. How old are you? I'm 26. Oh my God. You're a babe. <laughs> uh, I feel old. I feel, I don't know. I'm in a weird time in my life. But uh, anyways, <laughs> I feel like that's good advice. The, not to detract and th- uh, talk about stuff. But um, what, what about you, McKay? I just think of Rodney McKay from Stargate Atlantis. You don't sound like him, but I really want to call you Rodney. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. I might make my kids watch that with me. <laughs> it's really good. And like the, the science is really good. It's, um, yeah, I've got my girlfriend into it. What's, are you a fan of Battlestar Galactica by chance? Um, I, no, I'm not. Uh, I never, um, I never watched that. Oh, it's really good. You should check it out. Like the, the first season, like just to give an example, my girlfriend does not like sci-fi. And by the end of it, she was going crazy wanting to watch the rest of it. So I, I feel like that's a, a successful convert. But um, it's a good advertisement. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. The ending was a killer. But what about you? Any any similar wisdom? Um, you know, I, I there's uh, compare myself to you know some of the uh, 
cohort people that I, I grew up with and ended up doing stuff. I think, you know, taking more time to figure out what it is you really want to do um, is, you know, is, it is, uh, is not misspent youth, but is, is useful. Um, uh, you know, is, is a useful exercise and whether that's, you know, not just thinking about stuff, but actually trying to do lots of things. And then, you know, from that learning what, what you do and don't like about them. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I, there's a, I went to my hometown, I don't know, not, not recently, like six months ago. And there's a person there working at Walmart and he told me that he feels like he's behind schedule. And I was like, you just finished like three tours in Iraq and you got a job after you came back, like, you're doing fine. Like go get your GI bill and go to college if you want to, like, you have, you know, you have time. And he's like, he just had like this sense of I'm falling behind. And I was like, no, nah, man, like who, who, who are you racing? <laughs> like who's racing you? You're doing great. Like, don't worry about it. You know, you got a roof over your head. You got food in your belly. Like I tell that to my kids too. They're always like, I don't know what I want to be. And I'm like, you're not going to be one thing. You're going to be many things. <laughs> so how old are they? Like, like um, I have nine-year-old twins. Oh, okay. That's yeah. kind of, I don't know. Twins are kind of scary though. Like, do you ever, are they like the same type? Like where they look the same? Are they they're the girls. They are both girls. So, you know, that I think is probably the strongest and they're identical. That's the strongest twin um, event. I think that can happen as far as being linked, you know, are two identical girls. Um, that, that's been my learning in my perspective, at least, especially having taught many twins in the past. And yeah, they are uh, extremely dynamic and definitely the cutest kids you've ever seen. Mm. <laughs> it's good that you think so. They actually, you know, one funny thing I can tell, and actually what we didn't tell you is that John and I are married. Um, it, but, but one thing they've started doing is they start, they've started their own companies, a number of different companies. And one of them, the latest one is called Twin Tunes. And they argue, they argue about who has more power, the co-founder or the CEO, and when they're going to trademark stuff. And you know, just really funny little imitators, you know? <laughs> well, that's awesome. My, um, if that was a podcast, I'd totally listen to it. That sounds really funny. <laughs> The, my girlfriend and I were thinking about starting a podcast where she she tries to explain to me like pop culture like like why is Kim Kardashian important and I would explain to her like genetics <laughs> and, and see and see if we would be successful. Oh, that'd be so fun. Yeah, right. Well, she's written like thirteen novels, so I like uh, her, she's much more Kim creative. Kardashian or your girlfriend? My my girlfriend. Oh, okay, good. Okay, I'm like I was like I don't think so. <laughs> I think oh she has a clothing God. line. I don't know these things. <laughs> I think she's only important because the OJ trials. But I have no idea. Either. I have no idea. I don't know why it matters. All right, but anyways. So uh, as like a as a well, the last the two last questions are any books or resources that you'd recommend for people who are so like anyone who is about to leave like the you know the advice question anyone in that type of demographic or who is interested to learn more about genetics and or hemp or like what you're trying to build like any books or resources so they can learn more because I like to read like a book or so every other day so I need more yeah. stuff to read. I read a lot but I can tell you that any you know the nonfiction bores me to tears so you know I try reading those business books and I usually you know I finish them but I I never go back to that as my next book I like stories. I need to hear stories. So I don't have any applicable to science. I can tell you art ones after, but Dr. Oh, no, art is good. Any, just anything you like. 
Oh, I love, um, so I, you know, we could have our own, like just a podcast, just about maybe like apocalyptic books, right? Post-apocalyptic, you know, I would love to go through that. My brother-in-law and I always talk about that, but as far as like helpful books that I found, I love, um, you know, Amy Poehler's book, uh, Yes, Please. I love Mindy Kaling. Um, they're all like really positive, strong women. Um, I also love Marcus Samuelson is a famous chef and he wrote this book called um, Yes Chef that is also along the same veins of like their life story, really what all the positive things that happened and, and how hopeful they are. Amanda Palmer's The Art of Asking, that's kind of businessy, but it's, um, I found that very helpful about, you know, not being ashamed to rally the community around you and to ask right, for what we need. And, and it's kind of like a trade model of business as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, the, the capitalistic model <laughs> that it would be. So um, I, I love being informed by all those. And I, I think they're helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, I, but just uh, so I can, I want to give you a recommendation. Okay. Uh, there's a book by Walter Isaacson called Benjamin Franklin. I think just Franklin, but I always just put Benjamin in front of it. And the first part of it, they talk, the, it talks about how Franklin's dad did some specific things to try and help Franklin find what profession he wanted. And mm. so he did it at the same age as your daughter. So I think like, cool. it, yeah, okay. it might be a good like case study because he, he was afraid Benjamin was going to run and join the Navy and like leave. <laughs> so he was like, let's try and figure out what this guy likes. And so he did like a bunch of really specific things, but it's in the, it's in the first like 50 or so pages. If you wanted like a, a quick, okay, page. yeah, we'll check that out for sure. Yeah. But what about you, Dr. McKay? Um, in terms of, uh, Genetics and science stuff, most, mostly reading, uh, you know, peer-reviewed articles um, and not books just because that's, you know, yeah. uh, the turnover in information is faster by the time mm -hmm. something comes out in a book, um, uh, you know, it's old news. So, um, yeah, so I, I uh, and I, you know, yeah, I can't think of any... Um, general inspirational books you don't um, read, yeah you don't read that kind of stuff yeah no. <laughs> any uh well what was like the last journal article you read that you liked i'll look it up and stick it in the show notes okay um let's see the last uh there's a a, a paper on um editing uh, or messing with a um photosynthesis uh gene in um uh, in, in crop species to try to make that, uh, to get rid of some inefficiencies in the system and uh, increase yield that I thought was interesting. It's, it's still not clear if it, it's going it to work. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, at scale. But yeah, it's, it's interesting work from University of Illinois. Hmm. I'll have to check that out. So then, all right, so last question is for anyone who is interested to learn more? I mean, you, you do have the website, like New Harvest Genetics, but is there other key ways that people can kind of like follow along with what's going on? Uh, NewWestGenetics.com. Uh, oh, what did I say? <laughs> you gave us a new name, which, you know, it's not New a bad Harvest. one. New Harvest. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking, I don't know why I have New Harvest on the brain. They're, they're like a clean meat uh, nonprofit. Ah. I, I don't know why. Very but. cool. Yeah. That could apply for us too, though. I like it. Um, yeah. I don't know. John? um resources uh yeah i don't know there's i mean we have our facebook page we have our linkedin we have yeah. like a newsletter i always like newsletters 
Um, we do occasionally send newsletters, so you can certainly sign up for that on our uh, website, www.newestgenetics.com. <laughs> <laughs> That was Wendy Mosher, the CEO, and Dr. John McKay, Director of Genetics at New West Genetics. Check them out at their website, which was newwestgenetics.com, and on their social media, such as their Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and Twitter, all at New West Genetics. Thank you for staying around today, and I will cue you out with my outro. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at LowellWasHere, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you.